This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 283, Learn to Learn Spirit Island. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. I want to make a promise to everyone at the top here. This is a first proper Spirit Island episode. Yeah. But you'll note that the song was that old Space Cats, Peace Turtles, Twilight Imperium song. And something that mm-hmm. people rightfully got onto me about last time we did a Root episode is we didn't have any Root music in it. Or, or maybe it was Oath. I forget which. We did, like a, we did like a whole thing. Maybe it was our last interview with Cole. I don't know. But we like... I didn't use... The good, awesome root wow. music last time. Yeah, and I just want everyone to know we have an intent to have Spirit Island music for for the upcoming ones. We just don't have it yet. We don't have it. Okay, I'm sorry, right. but we right. will. We will have it, and you'll have cool new music for your Spirit Island stuff. Matt, will there possibly be like a, a remaster of this episode <laughs> with the new music included after the music is done? Sure. I so this a, is not the definitive version no, this of this is episode. Not the, yeah, the, this is this is the this is the cut the editors and the producers got out the door and later we'll have the director's cut of Learn <gasps> to Learn Spirit Island. <laughs> oh, I would love to find out who the director is. You know? I've always wanted to know who the director is of this of this show. You know? It's EJ. Who's the showrunner? Yeah. I wanna know. It's EJ. It's always been EJ. I think EJ would make a good director. I I've always felt like an executive producer, mm. someone who is kind of hanging out on set <laughs> and like I don't have to say stuff, but then I do say stuff and people are like, "We got oh, we got to deal with you today." Okay, we got to oh, take that seriously. Oh, you're, Great. Oh, so you showed up on set today and now we have to listen to what you're saying because you're here. God, it's so much better when you're not around and we get to just do stuff. We can just work and get it all done. But when you're here, you know, you know what's hilarious is what you just described is true of like associate producers and executive producers. It's also true when like uh, it's called a second team uh, when, when when B camera gets to go off and make actually second team is a different thing. But when, when you get to go off and do just like we get to go shoot our own thing and you get like a you get like a second unit director. Second yeah. unit director is always the cool one. And then when it's like <laughs> time to go back to regular director, everyone's like, oh, Aww. come on. I don't want to <laughs> hang out with Miguel Sapochnik. I want to <laughs> deal with this guy. He's so much cooler. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, that does sound fun. If you're just shooting B-roll, yeah, yeah. it's low stakes. Such, it's such low stakes. It, uh, sorry, this is now I'm just like having fun flashbacks my favorite one of my favorite things that ever happened on a film set i worked on was being on a b unit and we're just shooting exteriors of a house and the camera team is they press the record button on their camera it's a completely stationary shot and the camera guy's like oh yeah that's it Mm -hmm. yes and close it perfect nice work everyone and we did like a round of applause and like really milked it for what it was worth that's really funny that's really good um yeah yeah matt when are you gonna quit this job and get back to your real colleague which is being the second unit guy you know (laughs) 
You've got second AD or whatever it is. I am the second unit of this show because I don't do the main TI stuff. (laughs) I don't play TI. I do the second unit of like, let's do homebrew, I guess. You are the second unit of this whole operation. You are sort of second unit. We said you to go do the second unit stuff. Reporting live from the field, we got some homebrew for everyone today. (laughs) It's true. Wow. That's that's beautiful. So you did get, you know, you always told me that your dream job was a uh, script supervisor. Yeah. That that's that's what you always wanted to do. And mm-hmm. I tell people that too. I'll be like like the uh, I was watching something recently that had oh it was oh it was this beautiful Steve Buscemi movie. It's called Living in Oblivion. It's the mm. Steve Buscemi movie uh where uh he plays a film director that's making a movie and the movie is in three acts and each act is Steve Buscemi and his crew trying to shoot a scene. And the whole movie is just three one scene. scenes of him trying to shoot one scene. And it is so good. Like, I can't believe people haven't seen this movie. It is such a good cast. You've got Steve Buscemi himself, Catherine Keener, Whoa. Peter Dinklage in his <laughs> first role. Oh my God. Uh, Dermot Mulroney, which is somebody that people like for some reason, but it, I mean, his name is Dermot. You gotta watch this movie. It's really good. Anyways, they have a script supervisor character, and I just talked. I just talked about you all night, buddy. That's I funny. was just like, that's who Matt wanted to be. That's what I want to be. That. I never met a script supervisor I didn't like. They're the they're the funniest, coolest, weirdest nerds on a film set because their brains are computers, but they also don't take any of this that seriously. <laughs> I can't. That's literally what we are, Matt. Yeah, we have yeah. computer brains, but we're not taking it seriously. Yeah, the, jo- the job of a script supervisor is to write every single thing down, but to knowing to know that the director will never refer back to any of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like being a court stenographer of something no one will ever read ever again. Yeah. No one's ever going to be looking for the transcript of this particular trial yeah, ever. Yeah. Never. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, what are we doing today, Hunter? Besides going on as many tangents as possible, I think we like we were. Well, first of all, we got to enjoy each other's company. Uh, it's and the beginning of the show. Yep, this is when we do the enjoying each other's company part. And yeah. don't worry, don't worry, listeners. We will. We are exiting that part <laughs> into the business part where we will, for free, I might add, for basically free, try to impart into you some of our game knowledge Mm -hmm. about our newest strategy game we are covering on the show which is called spirit island Mm -hmm. uh, which by the way there's already a podcast that does spirit island they've been doing it longer than us and better so you could just quit us and join them uh or you can listen to us uh you know just kind of bump in the dark and try and figure out you know how to play this game darkness yeah uh, we've introduced this game before, but today is like the actual proper first introduction. The last one was like, if you're a fan of SCPT and you want to hear what we've been playing, this is the like, I want to get into Spirit Island and I happen to listen to this Twilight Imperium show that for some reason is talking about it. So Spirit Island is by Greater Than Games. It is designed by Eric Royce, uh, which R-E-U-S-S is Royce is a thing I learned uh, for this episode. So don't be tricked everyone else uh, like I was. So Eric Royce is uh this is a big game that that uh his team has made uh it started i would say even decently big it's a it's like a 90 dollar msrp base game that's not 
messing around. That, that That's right. significant. And the justification for that price, I would say, is because the component quality is good and high and interesting. It's a lot of art, and there are very specific plastic molds, and there's a lot of wooden pieces as well, and there are cardboard pieces, and all of those things, like have different meaning to the game. So it's like also right. important that the plastic pieces are plastic and the wooden pieces are wooden. And so just if you're just deciding if you want to get into this game, I want to tell you, like, I mean, first off, we live in the world where $90 MSRP is not necessarily what you will pay for a board game, depending on where you get it. There are very often sales on board games. But even still, it's an expensive game, but I do think it's worth that price. And yeah, does this have the the depth to justify the price? Currently, our opinion is that it does. Yeah, and not to mention, the other thing I think I want to lead with in this is we're going to talk a lot about the very first expansion with this game, which if you talk to any Big Spirit Island fans, they will tell you in the initial development of the game, all of the stuff in the first expansion was developed alongside... It's like a day one patch is what the first expansion is. It, it, it was part of the game, and they couldn't fit it in the game but it was like intended as part of the actual core game experience right. and then became an expansion. And that's like 30 or $40 MSRP. So like we're asking you to spend Twilight Imperium money on the sort of initial experience of this game, which might sound crazy to people, but not the hi. Welcome to the Twilight Imperium show where we talk about spending a lot of money on one board game and playing it until the wheels fall off. So right. I think that we'll all maybe be on the same page of recognizing kind of what that means. But yeah, I, I absolutely think it's worth it. And I do think it's worth it to even dive in and just get the base game and expansion like right out the gate. So I, I want to lead with that because it's going to sort of make a lot of the other stuff we talk about in this learn to learn. It's going to make that stuff easier because we're going to talk about branch and claw quite a lot. Uh, as an expansion absolutely so we're kind of going from a perspective of like branch and claw the first expansion being like pretty necessary for Mm -hmm. the experience um we have kind of approached this in several different ways i actually did not have branch and claw um when i started playing the game i played it base game sans branch and claw which made me feel like should have just had branch and claw so if you're thinking you know like what perspective are we coming from here with that uh, it's that one. Um, that's that's the one. Uh, the other thing, too, is that while, um, you know, that's saying, like, yes, this is a show about playing a game until the wheels come off, I do want to say, I want to reserve a right here, because this sort of happened when we started playing Dune, which was that we played a lot of Dune, we were playing Dune all the time, uh-huh. and then eventually we decided that we weren't super happy with Dune, yeah. although it's that kind of came from a perspective of, can we play this game till the wheels come off? Well, the wheels didn't come off and we kind of quit playing. You know yeah, what I mean? Like right. if we, if we are like kind of done with the experience and the wheels haven't come off, then that's no good. Right. I want to say this. I already <laughs> have probably played as much spirit Island as we played Dune. Yeah. Or the entire Dune thing. Yeah. So, and the wheels haven't come off yet. I'll say that. <laughs> the, we, the wheels are busted, though. They're looking nasty. I'm driving this 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 thing all over town, uh-huh, you know? Uh-huh. And then them wheels are, they're pretty busted. They're probably going to fall off. I think it will. I think those wheels are going down. Uh-huh. But I do want to reserve the right to randomly pull the plug and be like, actually, it sucks. That's all. I just want to say that. I'm just trying to say that out loud. 
is that the goal of this show is to review games very, very slowly. Uh-huh. And maybe even such a way as to where you've we've piqued your interest and you've already put money on the table. Yeah. And then six months down the road, I'm like, I wish you could pick that money back up <laughs> off the table. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's the way that we operate here. Uh-huh. So I'm just putting sure. that out there. I'm just saying that for the record, trying to have a little future sight yeah. here. But, yeah, I do want to say I have already busted this game up way more than I've busted yeah. up Dune. Well, and my the, the big reason for me uh, going along with not sticking with Dune is I couldn't get anybody to physically play it with me anymore because my, my local group also didn't like it. And my People local didn't group, like to yeah. play it is yeah. the problem. Yeah, <laughs> And uh, they like playing Spirit Island quite a lot, and lots of people uh, really like this game for uh, for good reasons. So... Let's let's get into uh, what this thing is. So first off, let's lead with what we're already talking about, which is why are we saying dive right in with Branch and Claw? Like, what is the set? What what is the correct way? Not correct, but like, what's the ideal way to actually start playing Spirit Island and why? Like, what is the difference? Because I this is a game that is known for its modularity, which is why we're going to talk yeah. so much about that today is there's like a million different ways you can cultivate this experience. But obviously when you are first learning the game, you don't know what you're cultivating for. You're just poking around in the engine, right? You're just seeing what this thing is. So I envision this episode as helping you to hopefully find like what it is that hooks you about this game. Or if something isn't hooking you, letting you know the modules you may not be using that actually could hook you uh, if, if you uh, gave it the time or investment or whatever. So right. so why Branch and Claw? What does Branch and Claw introduce that we we think, you know, what's the, what's the pros and cons of bringing in uh, Branch and Claw expansion? So Branch and Claw uh, is an expansion that adds uh, just a handful of things. Um, it adds more spirits, obviously. Um, but it also very specifically adds an event deck, uh, which is like kind of a new step in the game where you will draw a card and then re resolve a list of things. Yeah. So in that way, quite simple. And then also it adds a handful of tokens to the game that sort of augment the experience. Yeah. Um, these tokens all have like basically a, a stated thing that they do. They do X. Um, and then sometimes the event cards will sort of augment that as well. They'll right. say, hey, this token also does this now. So overall, doesn't really add that many rules. No. Um, although Spirit Island is a game where each module is individually just a little bit, but then it all kind of culminates into one thing. Yeah. Most of this episode is going to be not us. This is a a learn to learn, which we haven't explained what, what that is yet. We probably should now. Um, a learn to learn is when me and Matt give you our opinions on the experience experience of learning the game. We do not teach you how to play it. No. Um, we point to others to do that. Um, we're just going to give you, here's what we ran into while learning this game yeah. and maybe some things you can avoid. And one of the things that I want to throw out there very early is that I started with just base game um, and felt like the experience was worse for it. When I added Branch and Claw, there was a eureka moment yeah. and I actually noticeably enjoyed the game more. <laughs> so I do not think it's really worth it to leave it out. Now yeah. I'm asking you to spend more money. Um, so obviously I'm not saying starting with base game is just some sort of miserable experience right. and branch and claw fixes it. But I would say the pros for adding branch and claw to your initial playthrough 
is all thumbs up. Yeah. I have no cons at all yeah. for it. Right. I, I basically, I played my first game with uh, Weird Bear Absol, who is like a, a noted Spirit Island uh, mega fan. And she just had us start with Branch and Claw. I was not, you know, I never, I didn't read the rule book. She just taught me how to play this game. So I started with Branch and Claw. Then I backed up and we'll talk about, there's a, there's another thing called Horizons of Spirit Island. And I will, I'll have like a whole bit later to talk about that. But I backed up to Horizons of Spirit Island, which is essentially like backing up to the base game. And in noticing what was being left out from that, the backing up was like, well, I'm, I, you know, I wasn't too upset with myself for doing that because I'm just like trying to lower the s sort of overall complexity of the game. But the, the more we played and then the more like Hunter and I talked about prepping this episode, it is that thing of it's not adding any sort of wildly new complex thing. It's adding in a, a sentence here, a sentence there, a little, you know, a, a little interaction here. And especially think of it this way uh, in Twilight Imperium, Prophecy of Kings introduces agents but the whole thing with agents is agents can be used on anyone at any time which means there's this inherent massive total weight to introducing a new agent for each faction right that that's right. that's one component that adds significant weight to the experience branch and claw is more or less introducing an event deck which is like akin to an action card right it's adding some action cards into the set right. but in introduce or, or imagine just like if base game didn't come with action cards and then you got action cards it's not hard to play with action cards you just have to read what the action card is and do it that's all that the event deck is introducing into this and and the things that the event deck does is significantly more interesting to the overall experience uh, for, for like the story of what happens on your island and all that stuff. And the same thing with those tokens. Like I kind of said, they're, they're exceedingly simple, but what it allows the system design to do is open up areas for it to target new spots on the map relative to what has happened there, right? Oh, this disease token is there. We can now have cards that reference disease tokens for different matters. Even though the disease right. token by itself is doing very, very little, it has this other superfluous process that it gets to be a part of. Right. And also, Branch and Claw, the expansion adds that, like, these components we're talking about specifically are mostly stuff that helps... Uh, the spirits, the good yes, guys. Remember, right. this is a cooperative game. We're not playing against each other. We're playing against the invaders who yes. are essentially controlled by the computer. Yeah. Um, all of these components are mostly things that are going to intervene on our behalf or help us out or give us an interesting choice yeah. to make. Um, and I would say without their inclusion, the game can feel a little bit robotic yeah. as far as like, it just feels like, well, the invaders do X, which is bad, and we stop them. Right. I like a little bit. It's the perfect amount of random swerving yeah. to add. Um, and it's mostly, it's not always good, actually, to be fair. Um, at, in fact, the event uh, card can definitely go south for you. Sure. Um, but it's it's unforeseeable. It's stuff that just happens. Sometimes it gives you an extra windfall. And, and honestly, I think the game needed just a midge of randomness yeah. um, to help it really shine. Yeah. Um, otherwise, Which, it can feel a little bit too static. Right. Which isn't to say there's, I mean, there's a lot of randomness in the game. There's a lot of uh, y y getting random cards and, and, and things that happen with, like, your fear cards and stuff like that. Um, maybe we can cover some quick basics about, like, what the game is. Again, we're not teaching the game, but I want to use this to talk about Horizons of Spirit Island. So, 
the base game and Branch and Claw are incorporating all these elements. Your main goal in Spirit Island is to fight off these invaders that are coming to your land. Uh, the, the main ways you do that is you scare them so much that they run away. Uh, and even as you scare them a lot, you are changing the win condition of the game um, right. from, oh, we need to kill everything to, oh, well, as long as we just remove their structures, then we'll be fine to, oh, we don't even have to get rid of the towns. If we just get rid of their big cities, we'll scare them off down to the final one, which is just like, well, if we just finish out this whole fear deck, we can just make them go away or whatever. Yeah, and they get so scared that they all leave. Yeah. Uh, and the ways that the the bad guys win is like any other um, cooperative game. There's like a, a series of different things you're trying to keep. You know, if this deck runs out or if you get too much of this thing or whatever. So with all of that and the way I think about cooperative games is it's always a juggling act, right? You're, you're, you're just trying to keep up with all of the different things. The game wants you to focus on this thing, but then they're making this thing on the other side more difficult for you. So you're trying to balance that out. And the reason that is more fun in Spirit Island than it is in other cooperative games I have played is because of how little quarterbacking you have the mental energy to do, which is to say a, a, a spirit in Spirit Island has a set of abilities that you're trying to keep track of when you unlock sort of this ability that's like growing as the game goes on. You, you get more of these components that make your abilities stronger and stronger you also have a set of cards that you're trying to play at different intervals and basically if you wanted to quarterback the entire experience where one person's just like lording over everyone and and, and doing the perfect optimal play i think spirit island would take like seven hours to play because you would be trying to think about so many interacting components that mm -hmm. you would drive yourself mad so the idea that i gotta just focus on what's in front of me like there's so many times where I find myself in this game going, I don't know, I'm going to pick this because it seems good right now and it doesn't even trigger until later anyways, so we'll just see how it's going to go later on. Right. There's too many unknown right. variables. There's too much randomness in what the enemy is going to do that I just need to pick something that seems like it'll work and then make it work correctly later. So it, it there's a lot of delaying your decisions and stuff like that. And so within all of that, it's like it feels like a ton of options at any given point. That's sort of how this game, I think, feels. Is In general, especially as a learning experience, I think it can feel overly complex because it's a lot of sentences to read, right? It's just a lot of text on the components. Right. So here's what happened is apparently Target, the, the, the grocery store, uh, that notably has a generally... Oh, they're merely a grocery store oh, to you? sorry. A, a you life brand. You can buy brand. a lot of really high-quality goods at Target, <laughs> okay? This I can't episode brought it. to you see, by... <laughs> see, here's the problem with you. You're from Bentonville. You're from Arkansas. You're Team Walmart, okay? Uh, I live in New York City. I'm Team Target, oh, okay? Interesting. Target's got everything you need. You can live in Target. And guess what? The goods are not crappy. <laughs> and Joanna like Gaines does. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, Target, expect more, pay less. <laughs> so, Greater Than Games was basically, uh, I guess, approached in some respect to do a not $90 version of Spirit Island. Uh, and it's called Horizons of Spirit Island. And... It is like a simplified version. They took some of the more complex components out. Of it like it doesn't have the any of the branch and claw stuff, obviously, but it also takes away a couple of the things of even the base game. But more important than that, it also drastically strips down 
what the component it, it makes everything into a cardboard component basically uh or a couple wooden components but for the most part it's like all cardboard so it's cheapened the the overhead for this product and it it comes with five new spirits and that is currently the main selling point for why people want to get horizons is it's like hey it's got the five spirits in there aside from those five spirits nothing else in horizons of spirit island is moves over into the rest of the spirit island set right it, it is a standalone expansion with five spirits that you can incorporate in and the issue with that is a we already talked about like the components are sort of part of the artistry of this game the 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 mean uh invaders are plastic and it feels artificial the the good components that you want your your tokens and the uh inhabiting uh peoples of the island are wooden components like it has a feeling to it and getting it to all be cardboard components like drastically reduces that it also reduces the amount of modules that you can use to expand the game it feels like horizons of spirit island is like what if uh, you're you only want to be kind of into Spirit Island? You just sort of like the like very basic cooperative experience. And I'm here to say, I the value proposition of Horizons of Spirit Island I don't think makes any sense because literally for me, the entire appeal of Spirit Island is the depth to which it can grow, not only in just its base game experience but also within all of the expansions. And the fact that Horizons of Spirit Island is not really giving you any new depth and is in fact taking away a lot of the depth, like Hunter's issue, right? Hunter didn't like the base game as much without Branch and Claw. Imagine taking even more away from base game to have an even more sort of simple, rigid, less random experience of Spirit Island. Yeah. And also the fact that it doesn't, besides the spirits, like you're just paying you know money for a the full same game. cards again and and yeah and all you're getting out of it really are these spirits i think makes horizons of spirit island sound like a not very good starting place really for anyone not to yeah. just talk smack on no on, i mean i guess if if you knew from the onset that you were just looking to play this game one time or or a few times and never right. really play it again exactly i don't know why you would know that That's about the yourself thing. But- <laughs> That's the- I, I kept trying to tell me it's like well i don't think there's like kind of an audience for it but it's like who's going into buying a game being like i'll probably only play this three times ever anyways yeah. like I, I don't especially this kind of game it, it, it doesn't really make sense so I, I just and also apparently they have said like later on they will make those five spirits available in some other like there there's an exclusivity deal with target at the moment but once that is done those five spirits will be able to just be separated from horizons and be released in some other capacity. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, if all you're lacking is five spirits, let me tell you with all the other expansion stuff, there's still 24 spirits to play. You're not going to run out anytime soon. Yeah. You're not going to run uh, out. Yeah. So you don't need those five new ones. Uh, and if anything too, because they're a part of this cheaper component thing, they don't even fit in with your other. I have five paper spirits and 24 cardboard spirits it and it feels weird i don't know i don't know how else to explain it to you just everything about it i just it's weird to come into this and be like let me turn you away from something but horizons of spirit island is basically could be billed as like an onboarding experience for spirit island and i think that is the opposite of what it is yeah (laughs) i do do not think it's good for onboarding so i want to shy you away from that and and just reaffirm you that 
just get base game and probably just get branch and claw i know it's a lot but we're talking about a game that you could spend hundreds and hundreds of hours inside of yeah so it's like it's like what we're saying is if you if you spend the more money on base game and branch and claw or even just base game yep. as opposed to horizons of spirit island what you're saying is I'm investing in this as something that I'm going to come back to, that I'm going to possibly even add more expansions to and continue to play. Yep. That's a possibility, right? That's a right. possible outcome. If you buy Horizons of Spirit Island, it's kind of you're kind of spending money to play a game that can't grow any further right. than just this experience, yep. which seems like, I would say from my personal experience, because I've not played Horizons of Spirit Island, yep. but... That doesn't sound good to me yeah. because I liked this game the more complex it has gotten. Right. And I kind of, if there's one takeaway that I'm having from my experience of learning it, I feel like I'm out of the beginner phase of my Spirit Island career and coming into intermediate Yeah, is that I wish I had just skipped to intermediate level faster. Yes. If, if I had just made the experience more complex from the onset yeah. and not babied myself yes. into it, I would have gotten to the meat faster. That is the theme of this episode because that's going to come up again later when we talk about spirits. But I think the idea of the, this game throws a lot of text at you, but it's never as complex as a wall of text might make you think it's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Like uh, the, the same goes for the rule book. Let's talk about like actually getting into this game and just learning it right the, yeah. the act how do you of sitting down this? and playing it and how do you learn it well obviously how do you do that you don't listen to this episode because we're not going to teach you how to play it but right uh as we often do uh you know one of the best people out there doing rules explanations is rtfm and rtfm did a great learn to play that includes branch and claw in yep. the learn to play of the whole yep. experience so I would definitely recommend that. It's very concise. And in hearing its conciseness, you quickly get a sense of actually how simple this game is. Again, right. the only complexity is I have to read a kind of long sentence and sort of grok what it's telling me. But then once you get that, it's an incredibly simple act of what you are doing um, on yeah. the board. You know, it's like, oh, it's just telling me to like move a component over there or whatever. But it's it's sort of doing it in longer winded terms. And I would say the rule book is basically the same way. I, I don't think the rule book is like laid out as great as I've seen other rule books do. Horizons, funnily enough, did come with like a learn to play scenario. And I thought that was okay. If you can find a PDF of that online, it would translate to regular Spirit Island more or less, uh, except for it'd be using different spirits. But I don't even think that mattered. Like I don't, I don't think it terribly mattered too much what you did. I don't know, maybe it does. Anyways, the point being, I think just like having someone who already knows the game teach you really quickly or watching that RTFM video is much faster. Play a couple games and then go back to the rule book and yeah. like refresh yourself on the rules. Once you've gained a core, you need to have that sort of cohesive big picture of the game before all of those tiny long-winded parts start to make sense to you. At least that's how I felt. Is like the the big paragraphs on the rule book were really daunting, but if I had the understanding of just like, oh, it's just asking me to do this in this phase, then the long text made more sense after the fact. Well, you know what makes it so long, Matt, is that the rule book has a lot of um, advice yes. in it. It's not just telling you the rules. It's right. trying to contextualize true. everything. So, and, and it's trying to do, basically trying to make sure me and you don't have a job. 
basically. <laughs> it's trying to make sure RTFM doesn't have a job. It's trying to be a podcast uh-huh. and a rule book at the yeah. same time. And some rule books, I think, have this problem. And I think that, you know, it's like it's like you can write your rule book for two people. You can write it for the first playthrough. Yes. Or you can write it for all the subsequent playthroughs. Now, FFG uh, has both. Does both. <laughs> yeah. We'll just be like, here's two books. One's the learn to play and then one's the rules index. This just has one book. And yeah, that advice stuff does make the word count go up quite a bit. And yeah. it can make it feel like, ah, yeah. I'm getting the rules and I'm getting somebody's opinion. But yeah. guess what? We're the opinion people and <laughs> RTFM are the rules people. And guess what? You can set your rules book on fire. Just kidding. Actually, it is quite useful, um, but not maybe not for learning the game. Yeah. I really feel more strongly about telling you to go to RTFM to learn this game than I even feel that way about Twilight Imperium yeah. itself. Right. To be honest. Yeah, I, I, I do think that's the whole thing is the fact that it's offering you so much advice is that uh, advice falls on completely deaf ears. It's like I'll do I'll do the thing where we compare it to Twilight Imperium because this is our Twilight Imperium show. It's like a Twilight Imperium where you're like trying to explain to someone why they need to put a space dock on Barrig inst- instead of Lurda. And it's like you're getting into such minute little stupid yeah things like but it's important like it does matter to the strategy and it's like this is the first time i'm playing this bud i i'm not there it doesn't matter to me yet (laughs) yeah let players mess up yes or or it's not really about letting them mess up let a player play sub optimally Mm -hmm. so that they learn why they should play it optimally right you know what i mean like that's just kind of this that's a more general principle for i think teaching games in general yeah but like Get the rules right. Don't worry about optimization because the players will optimize to their own taste anyways. They're going to optimize in the way that makes sense to them. And once they start optimizing, they're in the game. And the game is in them. They're in each other. All right? (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. Uh, (laughs) So, so, yeah, once they're optimizing, they're in the game. Okay. And once they're in the game, they're thinking creatively with the game's concepts. It's the most important part to get to, but you can't speed them to that. Just gotta make sure they get the rules right. That's all we care about. So that then they become an adventurer in this magical land. Which is why I understand the impulse to be afraid of many modules, which is what I did, right? I I, I like, so, so let's talk about some of the other stuff you can add into this game. You can you can bring in adversaries, which are like actual, instead of it just being this nameless invader, it's like, oh, this is actually France. This is specifically France that's invading this island or whatever. Um, there's a bunch right. of different countries. The base game comes with a couple. The expansions all add quite a bit until you have like a ton of different options to use. Uh, you can use things like scenarios. You can use a lot of stuff. But the, the idea with all these was I got really intimidated by them. I was like, I'm just trying to grasp all these rules. And it feels like it's just throwing so much at me. And... There became a sense of you got to let that stuff go. And the easiest way to let that stuff go is to know that in the basic version of this game, like at level zero, the easiest way you can play this game, it's not a very hard game. You, like yeah. you, you, It's not too unlikely that you'll win your first scenario. Like you'll probably win the first time you play maybe if you're playing like with absolutely all like if you t- if you don't play with any adversaries you don't play with any like extra yeah, stuff yeah. at all you'll probably click into it decently fast and and you'll you'll just do fine and it's not going to be long before you're like ready to start ramping up the difficulty i've played four games now and i've really made it way too easy every single time every time yeah. i'm like i feel like i'm really understanding things and then we win like 
six turns before I think we're going to win. And it was like, oh, shoot, we we like were never actually up against it at all. This was like going to this was going to be a very smooth thing. And I didn't even yeah. have the pressure of things falling apart on me. So I wouldn't be afraid like and also it's a cooperative game. Like part of it is that you might have the fail state of losing the board game. So like it's completely right. acceptable if you do lose, which means bringing in the stuff that sort of ramps up that difficulty is not a big deal, especially when we say none of this stuff is as complex as it might feel like at the onset. So Hunter choosing to sort of dive in on stuff, I think benefited you and your group quite a bit more than me and my group who have been like little sheep, very afraid to to like tackle the next big thing. When every time I do, I'm like, oh, that was nothing. That, that added nothing right. to the difficulty of what we were doing. Didn't even make things more hard for the overall goal of winning the game. Like this is all fine. So I, yeah. I do think for learning to play, like don't overthink what you're adding into the game. Just dive into it. And and if you have confusions, like, you know, consult the rule book. Like, you can, you can figure out the answers generally pretty easily. Um, but I, I think you would be doing yourself a disservice to shy away from things, basically. Yeah, well, let's talk about the rule book a little bit more before we move on from it. Um, it is like, it is a wall of text. Uh, it is like kind of, uh, it's maybe a bit much. Mm -hmm. uh, there is an index that is useful yes. um, for, for consulting for rules. Um, and it's not, it's definitely not a bad book. Right. Um, it's not useless. It's just maybe, uh, it's maybe the economy of words is uh, maybe a little bit on the, I don't know, side. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then obviously, you know, you just watch the RTFM video that gives you a very good overview. And then if you want even more, um, you could check out Kindred Spirits, yep. which is a very good podcast about this game. And I, they also organize their episode titles sort of in a very similar way to, to the way we do it, which is that if you're interested in a particular aspect, I, whether it be like a spirit or they even do episodes about the specific adversaries, yeah. you can go through that podcast and find those particular episodes. And it's, it's full of very good information yep. uh, and good takes on what makes this game great. So I would encourage you to check those, both of those things out. Kindred Spirits is sort of your supplemental materials, your specific yeah. insights on things, and then RTFM is the great overview. Um, and then us, I'm not sure we have a purpose, but we are here. Uh, our purpose is to tell you to go listen to that stuff. Sure. Um, and then let's talk about the way the rule book tries to set you up for this game, yeah. because it has yeah. some recommendations well, it tries to tell you which spirits to play with yes and also has a suggested power progression for right. those spirits it sort of says here are the abilities you should acquire yep i don't like either suggestions right. yeah to be honest. here's here's why um you would not be you know in the wrong for thinking you needed to slowly shepherd yourself into this experience because the game also sort of paints it like hey you should start slow we want to really get you through this and i think they're just like wrong about that assumption basically because yeah the 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 base factions it wants you to use we'll talk about what spirits you should play with later but uh i don't think it's the most interesting set you can play with that like inspires the group to want to do specific things and that's like that's a big thing we talk about in twilight imperium learning 
the game is like get the speak get the faction that does what you want it to do you know like do something that actually seems interesting to you that's more engaging for your brain than like we need to make sure you understand how all of the numbers work it's like no i just need to know like what's the cool thing i get to do do i get to do a cool thing and am i excited to do that cool thing great the bigger one is this suggested power progression there's a card that comes with the game and they're like listen if you want to have a good time Instead of doing the way you normally gain new powers, which is there's minor powers and there are major powers. Major powers are costly. They make you lose a power in the process, but they're big explosive powers. You get them kind of in the mid to late game. Minor powers, you get a few of those before you start getting major powers probably. And they're just like your standard level effects. You start with four powers that are like specific to your spirit. Mm -hmm. When you standardly gain a minor power you just draw four cards and then you're going to keep one you get to just pick one and the advantage of this is you can either i mean there is very often times where you can tell uh this card was designed for my spirit it literally has my spirit in the artwork like this is about my spirit it's a big clue yeah (laughs) and the the very often too it's there are elements on the cards like there's there's eight or something elements that your different powers are using so very often you can just guide yourself by being like i need the fire and i need the air symbols i need to get more of those this card has fire and air i don't even care what the ability is just going to take that card because the only one fire and air because i just probably good it's probably going to be fine and that's perfectly acceptable the other thing you can do though is in your game just as a player you can adjust to what your group's shortcomings are right oh we're having a problem with x mechanic we're having a problem with our dahan being able to keep up with this stuff oh this card lets me move around dahan so that i can better use them none of us are already doing that this is not inherently good for me but it's a failing that our specific game is having and we can lean into that and solve that problem for ourselves that's like a really engaging puzzle you get to do the player progression cards say Get exact, sift through the deck and pull out exactly this card when you gain your first minor power. And when you gain your second minor power, sift through the deck and get exactly this power. And that seems like it's onboarding you. That seems like it's a simpler way to, I don't have to think about all these powers. But what my group noticed, they hate, my, my group really did not like this because what they noticed is it's basically asking them to commit to a strategy they had no interest in committing to necessarily. It's not what our group was going for. And we all ended up with powers we were like instantly trying to get rid of because we just weren't using them even a little bit because it's it's assuming you're doing specific things with your spirit that you may or may not even be doing. The right. only way the player progression thing would make more sense is if it also was telling you kind of exactly how to use these powers, which that wouldn't really be fun either because then it's just literally like a, a scripted tutorial just sort of walking you through every single thing you need to do. So... Yeah, I I can't really recommend it because my group instantly had way, way more fun when they got to look at four cards and be like, whoa, wait, this is cool. Like, this is a cool new power. I want to check this out. It has nothing to do with my spirit, but I really like what this is doing. And that excitement level is what keeps people playing. It has nothing to do with, you know, again, you do not need to win the first time you play for people to be hooked on this game. So what does it matter if you are perfectly understanding every strategy that's being thrown at you yeah and i think it's it's funny because i think the opinion of the game is that you should win your first game mm-hmm. and and we both won our first games and i felt like it took me longer to learn the game yeah i yeah. would have i it 
hindsight is twenty twenty, and I say lose your first game, <laughs> aim bad. to lose, yeah. <laughs> and you will learn so much better and yeah. faster. And and once you actually get through the onboarding process of this game, it's so much better. Mm-hmm. It's it should your goal should be to get over that hump. So just drive your Jeep right into the dumpster, <laughs> I say. Yeah, I I agree, and I wish I had done more of that. And going forward, like, I'm already thinking that way about something complex that I've done is I bought every expansion, and it's all sitting here in a big box, but my group was only trying to incorporate Branch and Claw so far. We're trying to, like, ease ourselves into it. It is taking more effort for me to figure out what not to include... <laughs> than it is to just include everything and figure out how it works so like literally the next time i sit down and play with my group i'm just dumping the whole kit at them and we will figure it out because i know that i now can trust the game that none of this stuff is more complicated than i'm making it out to be it is all simply something that i just need to adapt to the game in front of me it has nothing to do with the overall strategy of everything you might need to put up with in the game it is about the game you're playing right now and handle those instances and the best way to do that is to have all of the stuff in it to have all the options the more you limit your options the less you can actually play the game the way it's intended to be played which is like we're throwing too much stuff at you do you have all of the tools to deal with that you need to actually have the tools to to like have that fun yeah and uh, and this is a you know a philosophical point, but I do think game difficulty does help you learn mechanically the value of certain strategies yeah. in a game. Yeah. Um. And I think one thing that Twilight Imperium has going for it is that it is just difficult to operate. Yeah. It is the steel battalion of board <laughs> games. So just getting a grip on what it is you're doing is enough difficulty. Yeah. To make some things obvious. It's like your example with space docks going on either Barrig or Lerda 4. You put it on Lerda 4 and then you're like, oh, uh, I lost. Um, yeah. <laughs> you just see what is going wrong uh, in playing the game. Spirit Island is not quite that way. And I want to encourage people to just go to just lose. Yeah. Um, because I think the game was designed a little bit thinking like oh you know we better make sure it's cool that the it scales to such an extent it has right. so much variety as far as difficulty right um but there's also a temptation to just kind of i think lower the difficulty too much mm-hmm. um and rob yourself a little bit of the experience um i got a minor uh point to kind of play around with for a second matt how many people we think yeah. you should get down with mm-hmm. for this game? What do we think is... So So the base game plus uh, Branch and Claw means your options are up to four players. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, and so there's not a whole lot to talk about there. You can't have more than four. Uh, I've played with three and I played with four. Liked both. Didn't yep. really notice much of a difference between three and four player. Right. Um, and overall, I would say that those seem fine to me. But Matt, you have gone yeah. a little further. I've played... I played three and four, and then I played a six-player game that then halfway through a player had to leave, and so we sort of came up with a way to turn it into a five-player game. by rem- We like just took out a section of the island and turned it into a five-player game or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I've sort of kind of played all four of the main ones. Now, you can do one and two as well, but I, I would imagine that's a somewhat different kind of experience, especially as a solo play. I don't know. But my, my take on it is... This is the one area where actually the complexity did feel like too much and not in a like rules weight kind of thing, 
But when I played a six-player game, that person on the opposite side of the island, I couldn't even begin to guess what they were doing. I felt so disconnected from what was happening on the other side of the island. And I think that's the one thing this game already does a little bit is you're spending so much time trying to catch up with like all of your different powers that you it becomes difficult to like also do the thing where you're like, let me check in on like, Hunter, what are you doing with your turn? Oh, you're going to handle that area? That means actually I could go over here. Like the actual cooperative part of this game can at times you can put blinders on right it's possible to put the blinders on Mm -hmm. but in a three and four player game you're all kind of on top of each other and that means you're gonna interact with each other it's not that much to keep up with and and you will inherently bump up against each other and be like oh wait you're gonna cover that mountain then i don't need to i can go cover this mountain this turn or whatever right the six player game just doesn't feel like that it feels like you're maybe working with like the two people directly adjacent to you and nobody else because everyone else is just too far away the island just gets too big at like five and six player games in my in my opinion now i've been told by fans that the five player game once you learn it gets really good but i don't know i haven't met anybody yet that like really yearns for and loves the six player game it might be a bit much for this because it's just so it's just so much going on now obviously that gives room for like so much more synergy of powers but I think the distance between you inhibits that in a way that um, maybe is more difficult to deal with. However, I say all that, like I said, I played a six player game, but I played with us only playing base game and branch and claw, even though like I had the stuff to play bigger. I don't know if the jagged earth card editions also like sort of extends your reach in a way that helps you interact with more players or whatever. So that part, the jury is still out on a little bit. But I do think at least for learning in this learn to learn episode, I would go three and four all the way and just like find a solid group of people that you're going to play this game over and over with, you know, two or three friends and dive in with them. Yeah, I I 100 percent agree. Um, I especially like four. I think four yeah, feels like too. the sweet spot. It feels like the. The player count that it was probably play tested at the most mm-hmm. um and there's a lot of moving parts here i can imagine the play testing for this game was uh actually a little bit of a nightmare yeah um, just because it's like how do you play test a game that lets you you know tweak so many aspects of the difficulty right. like pretty much constantly um and that is my transition point too it is time matt for us to actually recommend which rules we think people should play with yeah. as far as the module parts. Yep. Um, there are a bunch of optional components that all have to do with difficulty, basically. Yep. Um, and what should they play with? What should they not? What do we think? Yeah. So we have already talked about a few things where it's like that. I mean, that's the whole thing that sort of really built up the experience for us. I shied away from the adversaries for way too long. And then the first game I played with an adversary, I was like, oh, that was it. That's all that yep. was adding. That card That's has it. way more text on that. So you look at an adversary card, and it's a big piece of cardboard. It's like half the size of a faction board or so, maybe a right. third of the size of a faction board, and it is full of text. And so you look at that as a brand new player, and you go, <laughs> no, 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 we're not doing that. That's so much text. Well, the reality is there are multiple levels to which you can use that adversary. And at level one, which is almost definitely what you're going to start at, you're actually only working with one sentence on the entire card the rest of it is literally irrelevant and you just need to focus on that one sentence and that one sentence is probably going to be like a very minor inversion on a rule and there's another thing that's like 
in the phase two of like the escalation or whatever you you do like one extra thing but again that's just like right. one thing it is more difficult if you're if you're playing without an adversary the game is i would say significantly easier because and i would say too easy exactly i think <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah so yeah for me i i played a long time without adversaries but we were just crushing the game every single time and then the first game i played with adversaries with hunter and absol on stream we played with an adversary and we still crushed the game. Like it just didn't yeah. matter and it didn't add that much weight to what we were doing. Right. It's just one thing that you really need to focus on. I would specifically recommend uh, as far as adversaries to play with. Uh, this is the same one that that the rule book also recommends, but I would recommend playing with Brandenburg mm -hmm. at level one. Just going to add a little bit of spice, just a little bit of extra difficulty. Yeah. And it will also prep you to understand that adversaries are a thing in the yeah, game and right. it's a part of the thing i think the modularity of this game is can make it where you feel like you're learning it forever yeah i say just go all the way in on this one yeah, i yeah. see no reason to hold back throw brandenburg on there play at level one now you know that adversaries are a thing and you're never gonna have to be like oh yeah i forgot adversaries also though yeah. you know just get in there on this one i right. say completely yeah, the, the, the next one is the Blighted Island cards, which I'm not even sure. Does, does the base game rulebook suggest you not play with Bl Blighted Island your first time? I don't know. Um, I think it I think it actually tells you not to, though. Yeah, I, I think it might. This is, again, another situation where the where the rulebook is like, this might be a bit much for you. And it's just like, ah, but not if you want to actually teach me how to play the game. The Blighted Island cards are, I, I know in Horizons, it does not come with Blighted Islands at all. Like, this is not right. even an option in Horizons of Spirit Islands. So my, you know, one of my earliest games was definitely this way. And basically, the Blighted Island card turns... Blight is one of the things that you can be losing on. As as they ravage the land, Blight gets added to uh, different islands, or to, to different areas on the island. And if you run out of that stuff, you lose the game. But with Blighted Island right. cards, you run out of it, and then it turns the island into a Blighted Island, and things get much worse for you. And yes. especially from the respect of this game can feel like maybe you're teetering on the edge, and then suddenly you realize you are kicking the bad guys butts you are just crushing it i think you need that mid to late game escalation because actually what's happening in this game is as you ramp up uh towards the end game you're actually gaining a ton more power right y you right. are escalating your yeah. your powers are unlocking to a higher and higher degree and as you get more fear cards the things you're generating to scare off the invaders as you get into later phases, those things are more and more powerful. You're striking more fear into the hearts of men. And so it actually doesn't make like every time we've played, we do like one set of the threat level or a fear level three, and then we just win. And it's because there's no counter escalation. I think you actually genuinely need that counter escalation to keep things difficult in the late game and thus keep it kind of interesting for yourself. So for me, the Blighted Island is a is a no brainer. You should definitely play with it. Don't don't listen to the rule book if it suggests to not play with Blighted Island in the beginning. Next one to talk about, Matt, is uh, scenarios. Yeah, um, I have played with the scenario. I this is actually the one time I'm going to differ and say that I actually don't think uh, the purpose of a scenario, I think, is to vary up the game after it's yeah. not even necessarily about difficulty because the scenario I played was not especially difficult. Yeah. It just added a new flavor 
Mm-hmm. And I think the scenarios are more of a spice thing and less of a helping you understand the game thing. Right. Um, so I actually would leave scenarios out because they are not um, really, I think, about teaching you. They're more about once you already know how to play the game, how do you kind of vary that up? They're, yeah. they're an alternate uh, an, an alternate version of the game slightly that gives you a whole new kind of twist right. on it. I think of it this way. The adversaries are actually difficulty settings. Yes. All, all they do is make the game harder in various ways. They are not fundamentally changing the core goals of what you are doing in the game. Whereas the scenarios are, are without maybe specifically changing the win conditions, they are kind of changing the win conditions. They're changing the context of what you are doing on the board um, to be like a different thing, as opposed to the adversaries are not changing the fundamentals of the game. They are just enhancing and uh, making things more difficult for you, basically. Yeah, they're adding a little extra flavor of difficulty, whereas the scenario is almost... It's like it's like they've packaged in their own homebrew. I mean, yeah. it doesn't go so far as homebrew, but it's definitely heading in that direction as right. to like try and change the entire flavor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would leave scenarios out. Don't worry about scenarios for your first game. Um, so there you go. I didn't say include everything. You can at least say that about me. <laughs> well, you and I'll, I'll say the same too about uh, you can. There, there are two sides to every map board. There's the regular. There's I quote unquote regular or balanced version of the map which is the like sort of more colorful uh nonsensical uh side of the map and then there's what's called the thematic map which is meant to be uh something that looks like a real island the mountains are more towards the center of the map because that's how an island would be formed you know it's it's laid out in a realistic sense and there's also like more stuff going on on the board now, like, I, I know people like Absol actually prefer the thematic boards in general, but I do think for learning you would probably want to avoid the thematic boards, especially because the thematic boards do not convey the information quite as clearly. The art right. is more nuanced to be realistic where you could like overlook a mountain space. Whereas on the on the balance board, it's like uh, the mountain spaces are the black ones. The sand right. spaces are the brown ones. Like it's very obvious what's going on. So I do think the thematic boards sort of obscure some of the things of the game that you might not want to do in your first few games. Right. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. Um, And plus, like the non thematic boards are just more. Yeah, they're just more visually obvious. So you're just going to get the concepts way faster. It communicates to you a lot more effectively than the thematic side, though. I am very excited about playing on the thematic side. I haven't played any yet on that side of the board. Really want to because it will change up the strategy. And I feel like the way that the game will play out will have a little more texture to it right um just because of the way the invaders will be taking over specific parts of the island instead of them just being kind of all spread out yeah. willy-nilly right yeah that is cool um and so then the last thing of course that we kind of wanted to talk about in this is uh to reiterate that uh branch and claw stuff is good uh those tokens especially are not anywhere near as daunting as you might think. They add a bunch of extra stuff on the map, but those are things that just get referenced through other cards that are like a one-time effect. It's not like you have to constantly think about where's all our disease, like unless you're like a specific spirit maybe, but those are even, I think the ones that deal with that stuff are like literally some of the the Jagged Earth um, spirits are the ones that start to care about most of those tokens. Um, Right. At least three of the four tokens are... They do nothing until an effect tells them they do something. 
basically. Right. So it's not like you have to exactly. like overly worry about it. Um, and then the events deck, which is introduced in Branch and Claw, is the single greatest addition to the game, and it uh is almost offensive to play without the events. They are they are very very good and truly yeah. make the flavor of the game something worth um reliving like replaying over and over again is that event deck that that's it that's the, the flavor of the game is the event deck yeah yeah you need the event deck don't even try to talk to me about if you don't like this game and you haven't played with the event deck yet stay out of my office uh-huh. you know what i mean don't be coming down here to tell me you know spirit island actually sucks and it's like well have you played with branch and claw yeah. have you played with the events yet okay well it doesn't I also think the events like teach the game pretty well because they overview specific yes. components. They're sort of right. like reminding you of, hey, this event interacts with specifically the Dahan. So yes. do you remember the Dahan? You need to so, be thinking about the Dahan. Oh my gosh. That is my actually my biggest gripe with the game is for a while I was feeling like I'm playing the game and you know, you got these Dahan out there. I didn't feel like I was engaging with the Dahan like hardly at all. Like it just felt yeah. shallow. It felt like this thing is there, but I'm not engaging with it. Our last, or like most recent game, I was playing as a faction that not only specifically deals with the Dahan, so I'm like already paying more attention to them, but those event cards, every single event card has a Dahan interaction. So you instantly get way more Dahan flavor, even if sometimes right. it's like ineffectual. It's like, oh, this one didn't do much that time. Like most of the time, it's doing something. So you're always caring about the Dahan, which I think thematically is significantly more important. I mean, in, in in my earliest games, we were spending a lot of time being like, I don't know if I care what happens to the Dahan uh, because they're just not really affecting our ability to deal with very much on the board. And that's like literally diametrically opposed to the purpose of thematically what the Dahan are supposed to be there for. You're supposed to care about them uh, is basically the idea. So it's weird that without the event deck, it's very easy to not care about them. And I, I think you miss out on a core tenet of the game. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely need to have that part. Um, definitely, definitely need to have that in the mix. Um, okay, now let's talk about the fun part. Yeah. How do you determine which spirits to play as? The rule book says to play as the four low-complexity spirits. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Uh, what do we do? You think that's good? <laughs> so Is that good? Here's here's my first advice on learning to learn a spirit in Spirit Island, uh, which is to say the back of a spirit board has like a lot of information on it. And it's hard to understand like where this information is coming from. And I've been doing a lot of research to try and figure out. So first off, there is a graph. There's a graph on the back of each sheet. And it says an offense level. It says a control level. It says a fear level, a defense level, and a utility level. And they're like really specific graphs. It's a bar graph. And they're like at really different heights. It's not just like, it's not like A, B, or C, right? It's not level one, level two, or level three. It's like very nuanced. This is, oh, this is about 10% more fear than it is defense or whatever. I cannot find any evidence that this is based on any rigorous or scientific yeah. method. Yeah. These are a bunch yeah. of bar graphs that the designers went, I don't know, like like 15 fear. <laughs> Seems good. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the, best I, the best advice I've been given is, A, first off, this is based on their starting composition. Given their, right. fact, their spirit board 
and the four cards they start with, this is what their power level is at. But as you grow in the game, that's going to change. You're going to get new powers. I can't. I have no idea. You might get a bunch of fear cards that boost your fear ability. Uh, the second thing I've learned is uh, something that Stads told me is if you can find anybody that has evidence for what utility means, you let me know because <laughs> yeah. nobody knows what utility even means. I think of it as like, I mean, because you have control, right? So it's not it's not moving stuff around, I don't think. Or or what are we controlling with control? Are we controlling the Dahan or our Dahan utility? I don't yeah. know. These numbers yeah. don't really make sense, but they are still very useful bar graphs because... Uh, what we're going to talk about with the rest of this complexity is that I think this game once again tricks you and wants to baby you into things that it doesn't need to baby you into uh, because the the effects of these graphs allows you the opportunity to build what you could consider a good team composition, right? Oh, mm -hmm. I want to make sure I have defense and offense. I need to have both of those things covered. We got to have, yep. we got to survive on the island with our defense, but then also we got to be able to kill these invaders with the offense, right? We want to generate a, a lot of fear. So I think, and I think players inherently lean into this. I, I don't think I need to tell you this, which is to say, try to get a well-balanced team, right? Don't just have right. everybody pick an offense power. That probably won't go especially great for you. Although, like we said earlier, you can also just stand to lose a game and it'd be fine and see if all offense worked for you. Who cares, right. actually? <laughs> right. But uh, the other thing that the back of these boards are going to tell you is their complexity rating. And Hunter said the game tells you you should play with all low complexity ratings. Well, what does that complexity rating actually mean and i i yeah. don't think it was clear to hunter and i what the complexity meant until like a few games in so i don't know hunter what does the complexity mean to you well this is this is actually more of a you theory but i agree with your point um that complexity is more a measure of like how how much the spirit can kind of just do a little bit of everything mm -hmm. like if it's low complexity it generally means it's uh, it does a little bit of offense, a little bit of defense, a little bit of, right. you know, maybe some fear-based stuff, a little bit of moving the Dahan around, what what have you. Yeah. Um, or, you know, like, it, it, it maybe has three of those things yeah. instead of being all four. Um, and, like, I guess that's all we can tell. Like, I yeah. don't know. That's it. That's literally right. all I got. The, the idea for me is as you get more high-complexity spirits, what I don't want people to think that means is I, I do not believe a high complexity spirit means it's harder to understand what all the words are telling you. Because this game, at numerous points, has told you and led you to believe that more words equals more daunting and harder to understand, and thus you would think more complex. But what I hope this episode has told you is that's not the case. More words never means right. more complex in this game. It's, ne it's actually not that hard to like misunderstand anything. My best example of this is in our first game with our group, we had one person play as the spirit bringer of dreams and nightmares, which is a high complexity spirit. And we all instantly understood what that spirit was supposed to do more than any other spirit on the board. Right. We knew exactly right. what that spirit's goal was. But the whole thing is it was pretty isolated to one thing. We went, that spirit does that. It does that really well. But that's kind of all that it does. It can't really handle other things very well. Right. Which means our team composition needs to fill in that gap and do other stuff. So in the base game thing of like, play these four low complexity spirits, you'll all do kind of a little bit of everything and nobody will feel like they're focusing on any one particular thing too much. 
Right, and also you won't have to work as a team. Right. Like, that's the whole thing, that's is we want to get to the team part. Right. We want to get to the part where we have to help each other out. Yes. And and if you play with all low complexity, you might just sit there and be like, well, I just kind of play on my board, yeah. and then you kind of play on your board, and that's kind of it. Yeah. That's all we do. <laughs> We're just we playing mean. four separate games. Yeah. Like, and that's not the point of Spirit Island. Right. I think you should pay a little bit of attention to team composition, yeah. looking at... You know, uh, we got an all defense. Okay, maybe we should have an all offense over here. Mm. Oh, does anybody is anybody good at fear? Maybe yeah. we should have that, et cetera, et cetera. Just kind of play play cowboy style with that. Right. And then the second thing I want to tell you: follow your bliss. Yes. Look at the spirits. See which one appeals to you. Play Absolutely. that one. Well, and Do also. It. Like we said, that's all of these things are only talking about at the initial value of these things. You're going to gain a bunch more powers anyways, and you're going to find your shortcomings in your specific game. So none of this is going to matter by like the midpoint of the game anyways. You're going to realize, ooh, we're blighting really bad. bad. We, we, like, we got to settle this blight situation. Time for us to all lean more into powers that help us deal with blight if we can. You know, There comes right. a point in the game where you're not looking for an engine. You're looking for a card that just helps you do this one thing that none of you have been able to do yet. You have to figure out how to slow this one metric down or whatever um, right but the other thing i've learned from more experienced players is like bringer of dreams and nightmares is some people don't regard it as a very fun faction of like because it's so specifically geared towards doing exactly this one thing which mm -hmm. to me screams a lack of complexity <laughs> like it's so obviously this one thing that it is to me the opposite of a high complexity spirit it, it is it just does this. The complexity is in how does that feed into a broader goal of the team, right? And it's to right. say, I only do this one thing, and that's complex to deal with. That's a complex issue to solve, is that I'm only helping with one situation. Um, and it's going to, you know, we have to lean into that and make the game work for us that way. Ocean's Hungry Grasp is another one. Ocean's Hungry Grasp is literally like a spirit of the ocean, which means outside of the coastal regions, it has very little effect on any of the board like it can't get to the center center of the island very well that's so graspable by new players like okay hunters dealing with the ocean stuff the rest of us should focus fire the center of the map because hunters right. ab abilities are so good on the edge of the map that we can just let hunter handle that and we can all go do this other stuff like that's so much easier it's driving to understand. you towards the teamwork yes <laughs> don't worry about the complexities just play the spirits you want to play that's that's it that's that is absolutely it, it. Yep. that is that is the way to go um this wasn't so much a learn to learn as i feel like this was a how do we set up Spirit Island for yeah. our first game? I think that's where we ended up taking this episode. Yeah. Because I'm not really sure, like, once you get into the process of the game, my current, like, stance is that I don't care if you lose. Right. Just lose, even. Right. Just, just go for it. Because I think you'll learn the game better right. by just kind of jumping into the deep end and get, letting the mechanics like become obvious through like a well we're about to lose control of this island right, right now and then you start thinking oh what could i've done better oh yeah. if i had if i had realized that this is the hook of my spirit from the beginning right. i would i would have started uh allocating my presence in this way on yeah. the island yeah i my perfect example of that is in every game i've played by the end it actually feels like we've steamrolled the things and what i yeah. don't actually have an understanding of is how the last few cards in the invasion deck 
I don't know how much they like really ramp up. Like I think I've only ever gotten to the first like third level invasion card where you start to get two areas hit at once. I have not had to linger in that phase for very very long long ever, which means as a player, I have no understanding of how dire that can get or how, you know, what you need to do to respond to that. You don't know the trials until you have failed the trials basically, or at least actually seen them. And I, I just haven't seen uh, those things come up yet. Like I, I don't have a better understanding it. So I need to let the game be more difficult for me because I don't actually know how dire straits I am in, in the mid game. Cause every time I've thought I'm in dire straits and then we win the next turn or whatever. So yeah, it's, right. it's, it's very critical to your ability to learn this game to just commit to working on your team composition and don't, you know, don't worry so much about like perfectly winning the game. Like just understand your abilities and how you, I think it's more fun to find ways to bounce your abilities off of other spirits than it is to play perfectly, but only on your own Island. Does that make sense? Right. Like I can, yeah. Hey, if yeah. I, as long as I can clear everything on my Island, every single turn, we're going to win. Okay. But then I never interacted with anybody. I've had, I've had a couple games like that where I just like, actually didn't really ever interact with anybody but the games where like absol's leaning over into my play area and being like you know what you could do is you could use that ability over here on my stuff and if i get a if i get one of my presents in your area i can use my stuff to settle your problem and hunter can help you out over it's like that's when the game sings that's when it's actually really fun to play so focus on the interactivity even if it means you might lose because it's just going to be more fun to play and then you will have learned from losing how to better use that interactivity next time yeah absolutely um well this has been a this has been a fun first look at spirit island i'm really excited to do like a deep yeah uh spirit based guide uh yeah like those are going to be really really fun to try and figure out how these how these different spirits tick etc yeah um matt we do have one thing that we have missed though that we need to do we have a segment that we have promised uh-huh. and it's not even the one that you're thinking i know of. yeah we I'm, have I'm one that involves what you're trying to surprise me with i'm not really trying to surprise you with anything i just want to let you know that we are in bum 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 the agenda phase <laughs> oh my gosh yeah it's our mailbag segment it's the agenda phase oh boy hunter what do you have for what do you have for us what is our question for the day uh from our wonderful mailbag we got spoiled last week too because we were with dane and we got to do like six mailbags or something so this is from celia hello celia uh, aka vision s um i want to hear about strategies to mend relationships when things get heated in a game whoa this is a big one yeah <laughs> i i kind of think that this one is wor- worse <laughs> This is a this whole is a episode one. topic. I don't yeah. know. This I, I, I want to select this one because we're going to get some non-TI people maybe yeah. on the Spirit Island episode. So this one's just general board game advice. Yeah. How do we how do we do that? Uh, let's look up books on how to apologize and uh, how to, you know, be kind to your friends and how to... Well, Matt, Matt, I think we actually have a lot of experience on this particular subject. So yeah. I feel like I—I I mean, I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll start. Yeah, please. I think the way it goes a lot of the time is it's not always me, it's not always you, but somebody—it's eventually one of us. <laughs> it's eventually one of us. Uh, somebody has to reach out to the other person yeah. afterwards, um, and sometimes it's a little sheepish, 
it, all that really matters is that you're reaching out. It, you mm -hmm. don't have to do it like, you know, you don't have to do it like really aggressive. Yeah. And you don't really have to go straight for it. Right. But just like be like, hey, is everything all right? Is, are, is, are we okay? <laughs> yeah. Communication is definitely key. You need to open the dialogue. Here's how it generally works, right? Is you're playing a long game of TI and an hour seven, uh, someone can be anyone, but someone does something to you that's throwing away your shot, right? This, this is like the biggest um, point of controversy that I think people come across is like, no, if you do this, all of this day will have been in vain for me and I will mm -hmm. resent you for throwing away my eight hours. Well, first off, that's a pretty, uh, I don't know, uh, odd way to look at how you experienced your time with your friends is if, you, um, if you're gonna lose at the end and you're gonna be really mad about that, that's a thing you're gonna have to look inward on. And I say that as a person who frequently must do that, <laughs> must frequently look inward and go, why did I get so up in arms about my win being taken away when the point was to spend eight hours with my friends? Uh, that's pretty important. And so recognize that, recognize like what it is about their action that made you upset to the extent that maybe you got a little bit insulting and turned it into a personal thing. Cause that's the always, that's always the next step, right? Is, well, I did a mechanical thing that either helped me or didn't, but it definitely hurt you. Right. And right. the first thing on the recipient side of that is you don't know what they're after. So you can't assume pettiness you can't assume that they just like have it out for you unless they're saying i mean we have a friend connor who's like i'm doing this because i'm being petty and you're like well okay i guess yep. we'll deal yep. with that <laughs> but that's a different kind of interpersonal conflict that i think is far less common uh but recognizing that the person might have a motive that you don't understand yet and uh they're just trying to do their best to, to win their game as well right give them that grace to recognize that like they were just trying to do something that they thought was right they can be wrong you're allowed to make a bad move in twilight imperium did you know that hunter did you know that right. you can sometimes no. be bad at the game <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> it's allowed you can absolutely be bad at the game yeah. um so then after that it is coming to each other and opening up that communication to be like it upset me because i thought my shot was being thrown away so like you don't need to you don't even need to know what they're ending rationale was right right that's not required for making amends although it is helpful uh if you if, if at the that's usually what those really healthy conversations after a game are actually about is like i was doing this because because i had this secret objective and i was trying to right. go that's like that that half hour you spend after a game of ti i think is the most healthy part of the game which is to say like this is what i was trying to do this is what my win was predicated on i was trying to go for these goals and that's why i failed and so many conflicts are just resolved in that moment alone everyone literally just forgets that they were mean to each other yep like i would yep. say 75 percent of the time it's like oh you were doing that <sighs> duh it should be easy to let go you know and and i would encourage anyone that if, if you're kind of stuck in the game, you got to get out of it. You have to get yes. out of the game space and then step back and just be like, whatever was happening. I mean, yeah. unless it truly crossed the line into yeah, like yeah. some very personal territory. Um, and then obviously that's going to require, that's more than we can address right yeah, now. Yeah. That's, I'm not including that in the, in the uh, question. I'm yeah. going to go to exclude that. But <laughs> you got to get outside of the game and just let it go. Just yeah. let it fall right off. Now, right. 
there's definitely, you know, when we did the Holiday Spectacular episode this year, we recorded that right after the game. So guess what? I didn't get to get out yeah. of Game Brain. Right. I was still in it and then right. recorded myself being real, you know, snotty. Now, is that part of my brand? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Why? What do I care? I don't care at all. Okay. But people noticed and I saw them notice and was like, yep, yeah, well, that's. I yeah. mean, it's definitely not the weirdest thing I've done with hot mics. It's not you know the what I weirdest mean? Like, thing that's ever happened in our streams. I mean, I've no. bro- I've literally broken a chair over in frustration, and that's not something I think I've even made amends for <laughs> yet. Like, I don't. No, you've. Oh, come on, no. What did you just say? Repeat what you just. You don't think you've made amends for breaking the chair? You. I, I think nobody even actually, cared that you did it no, in the moment. No, you know what it really is. You know what I think more about than the chair. Yeah. Is there's a moment in that same game, very close to the chair moment, when I just open mouth scream into Sean's face. And that's, that's the most embarrassing moment I've ever experienced in a game in a gaming context. That's more on, on our other video game show, we talk a lot about like my anger with video games. That's way worse when I just yelled into Sean's face. Yeah. And that's the one that's I don't true. think I've ever made amends for. That that's a- I think well, okay. A uh, couple things. <laughs> you the game is over. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like Sean is not thinking about this. Right. You know what I mean? This is the what you're expressing right there is is guilt over over what you did. Right. Which is uh that's okay, but it also has been resolved. You know what I mean? <laughs> you have to let go of the guilt too. Right. I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to do anything. But <laughs> you, I think you should let go of the guilt on that one. Right. That, you know? Right. Like it 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 happened. You're sorry. Sean's not upset. Yeah, everything is is fine. That's the point you have to get to, right? To put this back into uh, advice for anyone is you got to check in on each other and make sure you're cool with each other. And something else, too, that I think happens. So like Hunter and I have had interpersonal conflicts in a lot of games of Twilight Imperium, and we've even gone back and forth on like for the sake of the game. Is it best for Hunter and I to sit opposite of each other, to sit adjacent mm-hmm. to like Hunter and I have like gone through that and had that conversation before games a number of times. Like, should we seek to sit in a specific arrangement that sort of like best presents the two of us? <laughs> right. Right. Uh, in this most recent holiday spectacular, we sat next to each other and we kind of both went into it like, let's be helpful to each other. We had that yeah. vibe. And then I, I immediately betrayed that in round one. I betray, I sort of betrayed that. And I stepped all over Hunter's toes. Now I stand by the strategy of what I did, but that doesn't mean we can't talk about the idea that like we had a whole vibe going and a whole yeah. thing going. And one of us lied about it. Me. <laughs> so that's like a, pro- right. Like, right. That's a problem. That's an interpersonal thing. It has, it's like, I do think it was the right strategy, but I didn't soften the blow. I just dropped mm-hmm. I dropped a command counter on Mechatol Rex and Hunter went, that's what I was kind of doing, but okay, fine, and I thought we were going to be cool. Uh, I could have come to Hunter and said, listen, it turns out the best thing for my strategy is going to be doing this, and I know we said we were going to be like very chill with each other, because what it did to the rest of that game that I remember mm-hmm. is you now no longer thought you could trust me for good reason. I betrayed sort of the core tenet of what we went into that game sort of assuming about each other is that like we were going to have like a chill sort of tradey game. Um, so you're like, I can't I just can't take you at face value for the rest of this game. And it like impacted the rest of our ability to sort of like do deals with each other. I would say for the rest of the game, we were like your standard level. Like, yeah, I'll do like a I'll like wash your stuff. But beyond yeah, that, yeah. Like, we're not we're not we're not boat floating, but we will we, do we, like the basic trades. <laughs> we didn't we didn't boat float in the interest of 
making it so that, you know, I think we could have locked that game down and ensured that basically one yeah. of us would win and not both. But I will say this, when, when you did do that, you also opened up an opportunity for me to sort of be like, okay, well, the heat doesn't necessarily have to be on me. Uh-huh. Which, again, yeah, it, it was just like we could have played that a couple different ways. We could have played it where politically we are aligned. Right. And we're kind of looking at the rest of the table being like, are y'all going to stop the, one of the two of us from winning? Right. Or we could have played the way that we played, which was contentious. Yeah. I, I think that I actually didn't really mind how contentious we were throughout that game because right. I actually feel like it never really got to a place in the contentiousness yeah. that was um you know overly snippy or like yeah like like kind of had like a bad feeling to it i think the reason i didn't like that game was because when i won the game we all just shut up (laughs) yeah everyone was just like yeah whatever who cares and i was like well that doesn't feel good either and it's funny because i i instantly clicked into this idea of like so when i lose it feels bad to play in the holiday spectacular with all of our friends and when i win it also feels bad so then i just became like my like right away my opinion was just like i don't really get what is the point of me playing in this group of friends you know what i mean of just like if everyone is gonna act like well hunter won who cares yeah uh then okay but then also generally when i've lost in a holiday spectacular it's not been it's been kind of just brutal in the way that it was exercised in that you know i'm thinking about um a holiday spectacular that was not preserved, which was holiday spectacular 2020 yeah. where I lost because uh, Connor was my neighbor and realized that he could use vortex to take every single one of my dreadnoughts. Right. Even though Connor had no use for the dreadnoughts, no. just was ho- just hoarding kept them. doing it. Yeah. Just would not stop. Just hoarding. Thought them. it was funny. And then I just did not have any ships yeah. to do the things that you do right. stuff with. Right. Um, I, I do so think yeah. there's a certain level of understanding that must take place. And um, you can go one of two directions. And I think different groups will handle this differently. And, and the key is getting ahead of it so that in case you do have one of these interpersonal conflicts, you know the correct direction to resolve it. And the two directions are this. Because I've, pl- I've played with both types of groups. There are the groups that I think you and I lean towards, which is in the game... Anything goes. I can be yep. a, I can be a backstabbing liar, and that's the character I played in the game. Right. But we played Game of Thrones one time with a friend, uh, and I lied to that friend and backstabbed them. And they, the other mindset is <laughs> there is one statement that means two things. It's just a game, and that can mean it's just a game. Yep. It's not real. Yep. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> The other is, it's just point. a game. Why would you do something so dirty when it's just Why a game? It doesn't matter. Why would you lie when it's m- just a game? Face <laughs> when the stakes are just a game. Yeah. You looked at me and you you said a lie, a dirty lie, which is, by the way, a sin for you religious folks out there. <laughs> one of the sins. Okay. You committed one of the sins. <laughs> To your friend yeah. that you're supposedly friends with, yeah. and all you got was winning a game? Yeah. 
Love it. Exactly. Love so you it. need to know what the vibe is on the front end of what, how the group is chill, because that's the only way you can resolve it after that. It took a while. There was a, yeah. there was a period of like a month or more where that friend didn't want to see me because what they thought they had seen was the real kind of person that I am. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that was what they believed about that. We had to talk about it. Like, or I don't, we never like really even properly talked about it, but we came in some way, we played more games together eventually and came to a better understanding that like, that's that that's my vibe and maybe i maybe i cool the jets when i play with you and uh, you know we meet somewhere in the middle or whatever but i i think that's it's the same thing that like this is a known variable in things like tabletop role-playing groups right when we're going to develop a fiction together we need to all be on the same page of what kind of fiction we want what is the tone what is the tone this is like game tone yeah is this is the game tone of our group is it we will do anything. We are going to pretend that the stakes of this game are as high as what makes sense for people sitting at a board game table. Right. And we're going to embrace the dark arts of necromancy <laughs> in order to win this game. Or are we just kind of some chums, just yeah. kind of moving the things around, right. you know? Like, right. I, And yeah, you got to figure that out. I mean, this is why, I mean... I'm I'm I've thrown in my lot with the number perverts. I'm I am among them. We are we we are willing to go there. Yeah. It's it should be dark, it should be nasty. Yeah. Uh but but yet somehow not too dark and nasty so it right. is a little qu- it is well, a little bit about boundaries right that's the you thing know? right is there's a, there's people that go even further than us there's the there's the i'll say heck mode uh in in like the twilight imperium global league where they're like no 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 we are like cutthroat almost to a fault except for that becomes the meta of that group is like we eliminate we take home systems we we do not do boat floating like that's a whole vibe and you know the the big part of learning to play in a like tournament environment like in the scpt tournament you're going to play with people you've never played with before right that's the idea and and you don't get to do the work on the front end of how what's the tone we want right that's a friendly irl game thing that you do what kind of tone do we want this game to be um in a tournament game the tone is competitive kindness right that has to be the tone that that's more or less like the known variable is we are all trying to win um and you know kind of whatever that means i suppose so I, i i think by nature of being a tournament it it necessitates a specific tone that I think most of the players are aware of. Although we've certainly had our share of of games that like go past the point and are are tougher to deal with or whatever because the interpersonal conflicts get a little heated. Yeah, sometimes it do get heated, and uh, uh yeah, me no likey. That's a lot harder um, with a stranger because with a friend you have a reason to go back to them and solve yeah. that interpersonal conflict and be like, why did you do that? It's a lot harder with a stranger. So if you're talking in, in a world where you're playing with with strangers on the internet, uh, I would say first and foremost, you should treat them like you're their friend, um, which yeah. is just to say the kindness you would bestow upon your friend. I think that's how we try to carry the Discord in general is like, even if you don't know these people, you should treat all these people as if they're your friend. And so, you know, the, the vibe on the Discord in general is like, you know, we don't just uh, yell at people. We don't just like, start flaming people or whatever if you want to talk about something and if you have a complaint about something like you can treat them like you're their friend and if you had an issue with your friend how would you address this uh this problem basically yeah i would say if you're someone listening to this right now and you are in the twilight imperium tournament and you haven't played your game and you play it and stuff gets real nasty whether it's you know 
whether it's coming from you or coming from them or a little bit of both, um, I, I would say don't hesitate to do the, the check-in. You played yeah. with them. You know their Discord handle. Right. Like, send send a message. Yep. Um, op- open up the dialogue, because I feel like a lot of this stuff can get dropped. They're definitely uh, not going to name any names, but I think there's people in the community that have had tensions before that really had no need yeah. to have those tensions. Right. And I think the more people actually talk to each other, uh, and get a feel for who each other is. Yeah. A lot of times those tensions just kind of go away. Yeah. Because absolutely. it's just kind of like, wait, actually, this is this is just a game. And now that I know who you are as a person, like right. you're pretty cool. Right. Um, everyone in the community is pretty cool, except for the people that aren't that I have on this <laughs> list right here. Um, yep. A lot of names on you this list. And I have you. it right here. It's my kind of list of of the non cool ones. And I just sort of have it. It's a sort of parchment. Anyone, anyone could I've be on written it. it in blood. Yeah. Um. All right. So there was there was that. Actually, one more. Can we do one more question? Just sure. one more, because we okay. only did one, and it was a big one. It was a whopper. Are we doing more the, than one per episode? Is that the new? I just thing? wanted this. This okay. one we need to do Sneak right now, because otherwise we won't get to do it for a okay. while. It's really easy. So this one is from William Ruth. What are your favorite Spirit Island spirits? Now this is just a little check in yep. for now. What we are should your do this, We should do this one again later too. You yeah. know what I mean? Like sure, we, sure, we, should, sure. we should check in again. So I have played as Thunder Speaker, which is the Dahan one I was referencing earlier. I have spread uh, I've played with a spread of Rampant Green, which is a faction you've played a lot with, but I did not really understand. I was not very good with them. Didn't know what was going yeah. on. I like uh, it. I have played as uh, one of the Horizons factions that is the Fathomless Mud of the Swamp. I liked that one. And then the last one I played with, I believe, was maybe Lightning Swift Strike. I kind of forget who my very first game was as, to be totally honest with you. But by and large, the one I've liked the most was Thunderspeaker. Thunderspeaker felt like there was a very specific thing I was doing, yeah. and I really yeah. got to grasp onto that and like truly do it. And that's like the first one I want to dig into. I want to play a lot of Thunderspeaker. So that's where my head's at at the moment. Awesome. That's really cool. My favorite is one from I don't even know what expansion it's from because this is this is from when I played uh, digitally with uh, with Absol once. Yeah. Um, Serpent slumbering beneath the island. Mm-hmm. Love. That one, um, the way it works is the serpent is kind of asleep and is slowly waking up. And the way that your presence board is set up is in this kind of like slow growth kind of thing. You can only play two cards at a time for a long time. And then suddenly you can play four. (laughs) Um, You have an excess of energy too because you're sleeping. You're just kind of building up all of this energy. You're going to hang out with like between five to 10 energy yeah. just left over. And the reason is that eventually you're going to wake up and then all of a sudden you're going to do a bunch of crazy stuff. Right. And until you wake up, you're actually a very defensive, very useful faction. Right. Very um, useful. Or sorry, spirit. I don't know why I keep wanting to call them factions. Yeah. They're spirits. Um, so it's very, very defensive until you wake up. And then it seems like it's just, you know, Whole hog, yeah. you just come at it, come at the game, and uh, really like it. Yeah, really, really, yeah. really enjoyed that. One. I so check out Serpent Slubbering Beneath the Island. I liked you being like that. That spirit had a dramatic impact on the game we played, and I liked having it in the game. It's it's insanely defensive, and was was a very fun game. So yeah, yeah, I definitely think those are the the top two, 
at the moment. So, um, well, guess what? We got another segment that I need to cut to because I didn't do any tournament recaps last week. This episode's going a little long, but I've got more. I've got a lot of tournament you recaps gotta. for you. So yeah. uh, we're going to cut to me reading a bunch of tournament recaps. I don't know how many I'm even going to get to because uh, I have not recorded them yet, but uh, I'm trying to catch up. I'm trying to only be like one week behind on tournament recaps. And at the moment, I'm two weeks behind. So we got some, oh, so we got, is, we got some heavy an, burden to do. Is this an episode wrap on Hunter? This is, Hunter? A, this is a, everyone, this is an episode wrap on Hunter Donaldson. Thank oh, you. Hey, uh, we'll I'll, see I'll you. We'll out. see you at the wrap party. Thank you so much. Okay, hello, and welcome to your tournament recap. It's just me now. Uh, and first things first, I want to thank our Weird Bears, Big Al Cappuccino, Squeamish, Emu, Brassbird, Kaluan, Daryl, Ignoring My PhD, Carnal, John, Necrodice Twice, Kindred Spirit, Alice, Lord Raddington, Emlashevsky, Sunfax, Absol, Ricky, M44, Rwise, Ryan, and Spirit Thing. And I want to thank our Teensy Sprouts, Patience is a Virtue, Ethan CCC, Baldrick Tautology is what it is, Frank G. Recca, General Pith, my son is also named Bor, Uncle Batty, Savant, and Vince. Uh, I think I said I had a lot of stories for you all. Today I have five. I have five stories for you. And what I've learned is I also have a monstrous backlog. I have like 20. I owe you like 20 games. There was a period at which we were only having a small handful of qualifiers per weekend. And that has sped up substantially <laughs> in the last weekend or so. So I have a lot of catching up to do. I might even in the next week or so just put a bonus episode into the feed that's nothing but recaps let me know if that's something you want i'm really interested in how people are feeling about this current format of episode and then lots of tournament recaps it's not really something we've ever done we a long time ago just did episodes that were fully recaps and we got negative feedback from that but that was like four years ago and then we haven't really done recaps and episodes since then, but people really liked Stads' qualifier report last year. So I'm just really interested. So get on the Discord. Tell me what's going on. Tell me if you like this. Um, and before you do that, rate this show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever. I don't care. Just go rate it. Give me five stars. I eat them for breakfast. You can also find information about our Patreon, our Discord, our merch, etc. on SpaceCatsPeaceTurtles.com. And you can send us uh, plays of the week to spacecatspeaceturtles at gmail.com. Uh, play of the week is kind of on a hiatus while I'm doing this, this thing where I read 5 to 20 plays of the week <laughs> that are actually entire game synopses. So I, I'm saving up. This is a perfect opportunity to save up a bunch of juicy plays of the week and then do a This Imperium Life uh, episode where we'll just read a lot of them. How about that? That sounds great. Okay, hey, guess what? In game number seven, from like forever ago, uh, we had Kahob as Nasroka Alliance and Three Little Devils, Murderous Troll as Jolnar and Vor Hollywood, Swampy as the Nomad in Gravity's Blindside, Cool Guy as the Emirates of Akan and Synecdoche New Albion, Toast as the Argent Flight in Mordor, and Keepsake as Nalu in No Country for Hope's End. The Unplex uh, Slice was lured of four, The Voyage Home, and the Council of Calaris.
The table was none too pleased to see the objective flop two attachments and three empty systems. Half the factions struggled to find a way to score in round one, but the other half built some momentum through their lucky explorations. Luckiest among them were the Hakan, who despite being last to pick in the strategy phase, found their way to two points at the end of the round with a stunning combination of unexpected action and major entropic field which allowed them to take custodians round one as well as score two attachments. Hakan's good play and and good luck continued throughout the mid-game, and fairly quickly they fell into the most irresistible act of catfishing with the Jolnar player. Jolnar had a good day as well, given that several of the technologies awarding uh, agendas hit the table, which allowed them to make more research agreement sales than usual. The other factions that had struggled in the first round were able to pick up their scoring pace, except for Nalu, who sadly ended the second round still at zero points. The staggering amount of tech at the table suddenly became the player's undoing as anti-intellectual revolution was sent against, leaving half the players with no readied planets, and the other half with only one or two each. The lack of planets did not stop Hakan from producing 59 resources worth of plastic in their home system with the help of Haruk Gafara their hero. <clears throat> Ixtine Artifact hit the table and got ridered twice, which resulted in a complete and total clearing of not just the Mechatol system, but every system adjacent. The Nomad were the first to take advantage of the opening on Rex, but were confronted by the ever-lucky Hakan and their parlay. The game took a very exciting turn going into round 5, when the first stage 2 objective revealed was Conquer the Weak. Many factions looked to be in the running, although Hakan maintained the lead at 8. Argent were right there as well, with Jolnar at 7, and Nomad at 6. Hakan used Quantum Data Hub Gnome to snag Imperial and pop it early to get to 9 points, and the aggrieved Nazroka, who had received Warfare in the exchange, decided to use that, as well as their shiny Dominus Orb, to move, move a massive War Sun fleet into Quan, which was the equidistant between Nomad and Hakan. The Nazroka had a momentary crisis trying to figure out whether their ceasefire was in circulation around the table, but then confidently laid a token in Hakan's home system. As the Warsun, cruisers, and mechs ripped through Hakan's home system defenses, one of the players ominously remarked, Is this become a martyr right here? And surely enough, to the surprise and delight of the commentator, the Hakan revealed from their hand the secret objective named Become a Martyr and scored their 10th point congratulations to cool guy and thanks for all the players uh, for an excellent game game number eight had the qualifiers Steryczynski as cabal in gravity's blindslide alex as barony in mordor zubs as argent flight and lerda for the voyage home gen con joey as nomad in synecdoche new albion robert as ghosts in no country of hopes and in bobby b as the nalu in three devils in round one cabal tried a risky play using the creus iff to build to place a beta token in their home system to be able to reach and score a sixth planet round one round two nalu opened the second round by using technology to research gravity drive and fleet logistics before nomad on leader was able to make a single action, the Nalu then performed a second action by grabbing custodians. Tense negotiations transpired on how to divide up the various planets so each would have their chances to score the control objectives. After threats highlighting the dangers of empty home systems, the Cabal and Barony swapped supports. In round three agenda, Nomad and Nalu swapped supports, a love that would survive even to the edge of elimination. 
at five hours and 31 minutes, Steriachinsky, this now sounds like a legal document, Steriachinsky, as the Wraith announced, since I'm not going to score this round, I can take Nalu's home system. Bobby, as the Nalu, said, you're just going to be giving Nomad the win, but okay. This would prove pivotal, as Nalu, being put off any chance of victory, proceeded to expedite and support Nomad's victory. A lesson, perhaps? A cabal fleet with cavalry and war funding made short work of the Nalu home. Nalu fought to avoid elimination. Barony put forward a simple but violent plan, Operation Winslay Nomad, by eliminating their support partner. Like vultures, other factions attacked planets held by Nalu. It was a whirlwind of violence. Nalu gathered on Drua, defiant to their last. They invested in their war machine and doubled the number of ground forces and mechs that they would use to defend their last remaining planet. They gave Gift of the Prescience to Nomad, and Drua remained safe for the rest of the game. Nomad and Kamal went to work trying to score 11 non-home systems, or yeah, 11 non-home planets, but both fell short. Nomad had agreed to give uh, Cabal gift if they left them alone for the rest of the round, but Cabal forgot to ask until too late, and their leverage was gone, and Nomad declined to send the note over. The stage two was centralized galactic trade, spend tra 10 trade goods. Barney and Argent rejoiced as they counted their money while Artuno conspired about how to fund their way to victory. Nalu continued to just aid the Nomad with the final result, Gen Con Joey winning with the zero token as Nomad. Next up is game number 10, which had Yasuncio as Hakan in Gravity's Blindside, Joe Reed as Sol in Vor Hollywood, the Jacob as Titans in Three Little Devils, the Walking Dad as Sardak in No Country for Hopes and Traltix as Arborek and Synecdoche in New Albion, and the Mood as Barony in Lure for the Voyage Home. The opening objectives were discover lost outposts and push boundaries, the former of which Titans would not even qualify for until round three. Towards the end of round one, Hakan attempted to rift to Mechatol and failed, losing a Dread and an Infantry to the rift. Going to round two, Titans took Custodians, and Barony later took Rex to score an Imperial point. Sardak, already sitting on a pile of mechs from Hope's End, and no land bridge to their left, began to encroach on Soul territory under the pretense of scoring push boundaries. Round two agenda was a treat, with incentive program revealing become a legend, and Sardak being elected political censure. Round three, having picked Imperial, Hakan tried again at rifting to Rex, this time sending two dreads holding a fighter and an infantry and a carrier holding a mech and infantry and two fighters. The carrier died, leaving Hakan doomed to lose the ground combat. The very next ar action, Arborex swooped onto Rex, producing their newly researched war sun and enough ground forces to fully entrench themselves. All of this considered, in addition to become a legend be being actively fought over by at least Sarnak and Barony, and eventually scored by Barony, this was a remarkably violent and unrestrained round three. In round four, with Arborek picking Imperial and se securely controlling both Rex and Nanoforge to help qualify for become a legend, Arborek seemed to be a real contender for the win. Unfortunately for Arborek, Titans was able to kick them out of their anomalies and score demonstrate in the process. Additionally, Arborek's prospective support partner Barony would instead give their support to Sardak to ensure protection from them, leaving Arborek without a support and Sardak with three supports. Titans would have a four-point swing turn, ending them at eight while holding five trade goods to score a mass wealth and a presumed-to-be-unblockable secret with the best initiative going into round five. The table previously divided over fighting to score controls was now united into round five with a single goal. Take Titan's home system. 
The Titans had been preparing for this fight all game long, now with 23 infantry and 4 mechs defending home. In the end, it was up to Arborek to stop them, sending the fleet from Rex to Titans home. Two war sons, three mechs, and six infantry, a fight still heavily favored for Titans. In the end, Arborek managed to kill a resounding 15 infantry before ending the ground combat unsuccessful, with their two war sons parked over Elysium. This wasn't the end of Titan's victory, as throughout the round, Titans had continually tricked the table into committing resources into fights that could have plausibly scored Titans in action phase secret. First make an example, then destroy their greatest ship, then finally darken the skies, which was successfully scored and won Titans the game on the one in the status phase. Game 12, this had Jared of Arabica as Yin in Gravity's Blindside, Pedro Amadeus as Isarl in Vor Hollywood, Old Mages Calaris in Synecdoche New Albion, Sin Gay as Argent in Three Little Devils, Vedmac as Winu in No Country for Hope's End, and Fives as Extra in Lurda for the Voyage Home. Round 1 ended with Argent being the only person to score a public, two techs and two colors, beginning their early and strong lead in scoring tempo. Round 2 began with a stall tactics from Asarl, signaling a round 2 leadership stall while the lack of blue tech allowed for Yin to gravity rift for custodians despite being second to last in speaker order. During the agenda phase, covert legislation came out, and Extra risked the unknown and voted for themselves, awarding them political censure. Round 3, Isarl promised not to stellar convert Calera's forward space dock and infantry on Semlor this turn, in quotes, for Calera's ceasefire. And they kept their promise by waiting two more turns before they stellar converted Semlor to Calaris's horror. Extra got Mauve Worlds off a DET Explorer and used that during the agenda phase for War Sons. At the start of round four, the table worked together with Extra to kick Asaro with Imperial off of Mechatol by helping Extra research Sling Relay and Lightwave before their turn so they could launch a War Sun using fleet logistics onto Mechatol. The stage two came out to be eight ships in a system possible by everyone at the table, and in the agenda phase, the fleet regulation was quickly quashed by Extra, who by this point had the game on lock if no one at the table could penetrate their shell, which no one could, and could score both of their secrets. Around 5, demonstrate your power, and a win in an anomaly secret led to Extra being able to score 10 points and prove that Slow and Steady and War Sons do in fact win the race. In game 13, first round would end up the advantage for the Empyrean and Lurda 4 and Argent and Vor Hollywood, who both scored Make History. The Yin and Synecdoche did unlock their commander before technology happened with a Devotion play, which is cute, but felt they had to go anti-mass to ever score the Make History objective. The next couple of rounds saw the table work up an appetite for slaughter as Corner of the Market came out, which was going to be very difficult for everyone, even as the fourth objective was to spend eight resources. At some point, the Argent Flight, played by Rando Calrissian, convinced Muat that Empyrean was getting too far ahead, and Muat attacked the Dynamo over Lysis and Velnor. Muat won that battle, but later would end up with Empyrean taking the Muat home system in retaliation, while L1Z1X in the Hope's End Slice came in to snag Aaron Amir after Yin had used their hero to move into Lazar, which counted as both attachments and tech specialty, which had been the last stage when objectives come out. That same Yin hero also took away Barrig and Lord of Four from their support partner, the Empyrean, leaving the bats at just two total planets. 
Isarl and Mordor, meanwhile, manage to score off an Imperial Rider, clawing their way back into the mix with a rough objectives limiting their scoring ability to that point. They furiously tried to hold off L1's invasion of their slice, but the Space Goblins were not rolling dice very well in space combats. When another difficult control objective came out in the form of six planets of the same trait, the table knew they were going to round six, even though the L1 made a valiant effort at the aforementioned two-pointer. Thanks to an agenda, Round six would kick off with three stage two objectives. Yin took diplomacy, and with the trade goods it contained, would assuredly be winning on initiative two by spending ten trade goods. Argent took leadership and had multiple paths to victory. L1 took Imperial and nearly won through going for six industrials, but coup d'etat stopped their fleet logistics-driven effort. Muat blew up Yin's big fleet with Nova Seeds, seemingly leaving Argent with no one to challenge their fleets for the objectives. But when Asaro moved one little cruiser off Primor, L1 swooped in for their fourth legendary slash anomaly, and this time no coup d'etat to stop them. Alphane will go on to the prelims round. Thank you everyone for joining us for the tournament recap. Again, this was actually a shorter one, uh, but the episode happened to, to go slightly on the longer side so i figured i'd 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 get a little bit less next week's episode is supposed to be the mahawk's guide though so i don't know what do y'all think about a bonus episode just getting squeezed in here should i do a bonus episode or should the mahawk's guide just be like four hours long of nothing but tournament recaps i don't know seriously let me know i i genuinely want to know what y'all uh, want to do anyways i'm supposed to end this episode some way I, hunter told me a, a method for ending the episode let's let's check in with him matt just make sure you know when you get done uh with the rundown and everything uh to say something really weird yeah and funny okay um right. so that the episode can can go out on can that go out on a good note all right i'm not very good at that but i will i'll do my darndest just right? kind of you know what can just you give kinda... me can you give me like one just like example real quick and then i don't know yeah maybe yeah, it, yeah. Maybe it yeah. sneaks in so just kind of like be talking like you're like i'm about to say this yeah. and then go got it and that's it okay there you go right there Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>